evolving education for a changing world. Expand your career opportunities and earn an MBA from University of Cincinnati Online Lindner College of Business. Designed for busy professionals, UC Online MBA is flexible, personalized, and supports students from application all the way through graduation. Get the world-class degree you deserve without sacrificing work or family commitments. Apply now at online.uc.edu slash MBA. Oh, it's time for Bring It In True Hoops, little podcast show. There's Gerard Hector, David Thorpe. How are you guys? Lovely. We are good. We're having a little bit of a tough day, though, let's be honest. It's just not, it's not perfect so far. <laughs> it has not been a perfect day. About. I don't know what you're talking about. We're like, I think we're roughly 45 minutes into recording this podcast, and we've achieved nothing. Nothing! Um, because my laptop and our software are warring. And the victims are Drod and David and everyone who wants to listen to a complete podcast. <laughs> we're fine. It's all good. There are worse things in the world. Yeah, we're fine. Um, and, then, and the backdrop of this is last week we had a big conundrum. And then after about this long of trying to record, we just kicked me out. And it became the greatest bring it in and bring it in history with Stephen Alardi and you two. And I was like, I listened this morning and it was delightful. So You're clearly trying to set that up. Happen again. I, I gotta. <laughs> sorry, guys. I gotta go have lunch. Um, no, really, honestly, thank you. It was great. Um, the show will be about amazing, insightful things that we have learned from watching Summer League about the top players and potential trades and Kevin Durant and Russell Westbrook. But just a little, little minute here at the beginning about the Tour de France. You good? You good with that? Love it. So here's why. Um, the it's going on right now. It's about the middle of the Tour de France. And um, it's the guy in the yellow jersey leading the Tour de France. He goes by the name of Tade Pagachar. And he's 23 years old. And the conventional wisdom is that you can't win a grand tour until you're 26 or 27 and learn the ropes and serve as a domestique for someone else. And then and on and on. And that's often how it has worked. But the fact is, Tade won the Tour de France when he was 21 years old, and he won it when he was 22 years old, and now he's about to win when he's 23 years old, and he's probably the greatest cyclist of all time, says I, not an expert, but it just makes me think, and no one says that, like you don't, the cycling journalists don't say that, but um, they say Eddie Merckx is, and the other day, um, there was a little moment of Eddie Merckx waddled over and said hello to Tade on the start line. And they're, you know, and the idea is like, oh, well, maybe Eddie can teach him a thing or two about, you know, cycling. But it's like, hold on, like, Tade's way better at this than Eddie ever was. I mean, there's like the the speed they climb the same mountains is measurable, and like Tade just blows it away. And some of it's the bike is better, but a lot of it's just Tade and the athletes today are better at this. And um, this makes me think really hard about in in real time when I was in like middle school and high school, and Michael Jordan was in the years that we now see as the greatest of all time, the media every day, I read the sports page every day was full of like, we'll see if he can learn how to pass the ball. And like, just like, just, you know, nitpicking and maybe he can prove it later. But the fact is he was proving it then. And we just were too stupid to appreciate it then. Um, same thing when LeBron was in his absolute prime. I mean, LeBron late stage Cleveland early in Miami was just transcendent. And, and the real-time media mostly was like, well, see if anyone how to play in the post. You know, just crabby, you know, nitpicking or whatever. <laughs> and um, I really genuinely feel like we actually have, for kind of deep social psychological reasons or whatever, we have a difficult time just saying, oh, my gosh, this might be the greatest thing of all time. Just appreciating it. Steph Curry, I guarantee you, whatever everyone thinks about Steph, whatever Charles Barkley thinks about Steph Curry today, I guarantee you, just let 10 years pass. And he's going to start telling his kids, like, you have no idea how good that guy was. Like, you know. And on and on. Um, I just think there's a little thing, which is when we're looking at the best thing that ever happened in the moment, a very common reaction is like, well, we'll see. And I think the better reaction is like, wow, incredible. Well, there's this weird thing, Henry, with sports in particular, where we feel like, and it's, it, and I'm glad we're talking about this because it ties into like what we're going to talk about with summer league and free agents and this and that, this idea of, earning your stripes and struggling 
that we feel like has to we project these things onto sport because we as mere mortals you know life is a struggle right like good bad whatever and then when we achieve success by whatever measure we use success as it's that much sweeter because of the struggles to get wherever but then when we see these people who are supremely gifted and talented and better at their jobs right than we are at our jobs it does this weird thing i think to fans in terms of how they and sports writers are fans because they're people too like how they talk about these people and it's just a strange bizarre thing and there's other thing too which i think was a little bit of like looking right and looking left when it's like what do we all think about something and like when Tadio Pogacar is 23 or Michael Jordan is 24 or LeBron's, you know, 24. Everybody doesn't agree yet. Mm-hmm. And I think some part of the fans are like, do we, are we, are we, you know, I don't hear that. I'm not, I don't hear anyone mm-hmm. saying that. Right. So like, I'm not willing to like go to battle over that yet. You have to be kind of a leader to accept it, to, to posit that in that moment. Right. And you have to be willing to take some heat for that. That's not a, a popular opinion. The idea that Tyler right. Pogacar is better than Eddie Merckx is like you could, like they would they would just ban you from the country of France for that opinion, yeah, right? Yeah. Like, yeah. like you just can't say that. People don't agree that, and um, but they might agree that after Tyler Pogacar retired with you know more Tour de France victories than Eddie Merckx ever had. That's a different story. But it takes a while for all those minds to click over to the new reality. <laughs> we're, we're we're having another hilarious moment because uh, <laughs> David, David muted. Did, no, he disappeared. He's not. He is no longer here. He oh just my texted gosh. me. He goes, "Um, you guys disappeared." I go, "No, you disappeared. No. We're here. <laughs> we don't see you." No, I think you're right, though. Right? It's this whole idea of, you know, it, it's that consensus. You're not going to get that because, like, no, we're not ready to say that yet, even though mm, it's probably true, right? By every objectable measure, we see it. Um, well, it's like whose insight do you want, like? You know, there were there were people who said before the Wall Street crash of like 2007 who were like, you know, these CDBOs look really dangerous. Everyone's like, shut up, you know, <laughs> like, like, but they were right. They were absolutely yeah. right, right. And like, it's hard to figure out the signal from the noise. Like, but like, the fact is, like, you know, there's people who know in real time what's going to happen. Like, are usually, you know, this is like, wouldn't they jail Galileo? You know what I mean? Like, yeah, 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 <laughs> like, yeah. Like, no, you know, yeah, it's just, yeah, they, they're, they're they're shouted down, right? And it's because yeah. that's not what the consensus agrees to or wants to agree to, right? It's like, no, yeah. that's that's not it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's it's that fine line, right, between genius and insanity. That's the you know. So on our perfect day of recording, ever so smooth podcast, David, are you back? No, he he is. He oh, is he was he back was, for he, a second. He, he was back for a second. He is gone again. <laughs> cool, cool, cool. Everything is cool. Um, it's cool. So we'll, we'll just continue. The portion of the show where we really get deep into what we learned from summer league and basketball. We're really going to need David for that. <laughs> but, <laughs> that's where we need David's expertise. But I do have. I was, I was thinking about cutting this, but I do think this is interesting. You, you and I, Gerard, we can talk about Bill J. Allen. Um, who I do you know who this guy is? Have you heard that name I, before? I do not. Tell me about Bill J. Allen. Okay, okay. So I only bring this up as someone who is like, you know, authored a lot of stuff about Jeffrey Epstein and Dirty Money mm-hmm. and the NBA and blah, blah, blah. And so th- it's in today's New York Times. Uh, Clay Risen has written the um, obituary of this character, Bill J. Allen. So here's a, I'm going to quote. Um, they regularly booked a suite at the Westmark Baranoff, a luxury Art Deco hotel four blocks from the state capitol in Juneau, where they dished out money and told their visitors what they wanted in return. Mr. Allen and Circle seemed to revel in their shamelessness. He and Mr. Smith always booked Suite 604, and Mr. Allen always sat in the same chair. He bragged that he kept $100 bills in his front pocket. The easier to dole them out to friendly politicians. The girlfriend of one politician even had hats embroidered with letters CBC for a corrupt bastards club. Jesus. Um, and uh, continuing, and as early as 2004, law enforcement officials had been investigating multiple accusations that Mr. Allen had sexually assaulted underage girls. Okay, so this sounds like politics in, like we would make fun of some country where this would be how politics happens, right? Um, <laughs> Except that's <laughs> this, this country. Um, yep. <laughs> and then eventually they hide a camera in the ho- in this hotel suite right somebody does and he ends up getting in big trouble and he cuts a deal with investigators and starts testifying as all sorts of proud people go down 
He never gets in trouble for the allegations about the underage girls, but he does become a key witness in the stream of corruption scandals, including bringing down Ted Stevens, who lost his mm-hmm. job over this, not because Ted Stevens was charged with any crime, but because he was in an election at the time this was all becoming public. And mm-hmm. um, and then, and I'm not saying this as a conspiracy, but the fact is, Ted, as before this really shook out, Ted Stevens died in a plane crash. Yeah. Um, but my point is, uh, this kind of stuff, underage girls, sex, dirty money, politicians, it's what's all throughout this Epstein thing. And um, I would just, and it's also, by the way, in Adnan Khashoggi part of this story and in the mm-hmm. Robert Maxwell part of the story and in politics as usual in Moscow, Abu Dhabi, Riyadh, many other places in the world. And I'm just putting it to you that this guy, Bill J. Allen, was an oil executive and all of those cities I just listed are places where the primary business is the oil business. And mm. I think maybe some of this kind of stuff is that we see as like, oh, that's power or that's the highest level. I think maybe it's a little more accurately like normal in the oil business. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I could see that. Yeah. Because we're, we're talking we're talking a natural resource, right? So these are things that countries need. So when an individual person has control of it, right? That's that gets real dangerous. And I think it, okay, now I'm just now we're on a basketball podcast, hoping David rejoins us. Um, <laughs> as I'm gonna theorize outside of my Irish piece, but like I think also um if you just let politicians be politicians, they would rein in oil in a whole bunch of ways. Yeah. Right. And so it has like near infinite potential for income. So you can just spend on politicians. But mm-hmm you're really worried about regulation, right? Really worried about it. Mm-hmm. And so you need politicians in your pocket. So not only can you spend, but you have a real impetus, which is why our global climate change has been very poorly dealt with, right? It's because, of course, think about this. These guys set up all of how politics were funded in Alaska was like through this hotel suite, according to the story, right? Like mm-hmm. who has to set that up? Like, well, someone who's got a lot to lose if they just get regular politicians in there. Right. And this is our this is our dilemma, right? Like with, I mean, it's not even modern politics. It's just it's what's been going on since oh, I don't know, the eighteen hundreds somewhere around. Yeah, I right? think Rome. Like, I'm going Rome. <laughs> Rome. <laughs> yes, the Colosseum. Since the yeah. Colosseum, yeah, yeah. That's, that sounds about right. Yeah, um, and it, it it's just you know people who have control and power, right? It they're reticent to give it up. We know that. And they're going to do things and bend and shape things in the ways to allow them to maintain that power at the expense of other people. Because that's, you know, when you play the game that way and make it zero sum, well, it has to be at someone's expense. Yeah. It ain't going to be yeah. yours if you're, the, if you're the one in charge. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Um, all right. So David's still in his existential struggle for power. Um, <laughs> <and> we're gonna... <laughs> like actual computer power. <laughs> actual computer power. <laughs> that's what he's doing. Um, <laughs> Let's let's just we're gonna riff a little more here. Um, you and I both read Tom Ziller, um, mm-hmm. fellow Substacker, wrote a little story about like the, the dilemma of teams. How you have to decide like you have a superstar, let's say named Kevin Schmarant. Um, <laughs> <laughs> on the one hand, you're smarter to give Kevin Schmarant the teammates that he wants because you want him happy and he's worth so much. On the other hand, it didn't help the Brooklyn Schmetz, <laughs> right? <laughs> like that's, that's, that's too close to the Brooklyn Mets. So, you know, <laughs> these are just made up names. I don't know. Um, so there's a little bit of a delicate balance there, right? Like you're, yeah. you're feeling what Tom's saying there. Like, are you better off like, you know, telling Kevin who should be on the team or are you better off living with the results and hoping that, I mean, this is, this is what you and I talk about all the time. Right. And it's at the heart of, as I always tease you and coach, forget about that lovey dovey crap. Nobody cares. But, it's that a basketball team as a workplace, if there is no trust within that organization, and that's what a team is an organization, well, you're going to get shitty end results, right? But that's, that's true of anything. Take, forget about basketball. Any corporation, if the employees don't trust management and vice versa, and it's going to be a bad place to work because yeah. no one trusts anybody. So no one's going to be doing anything in the best interest of the overall. Everyone's going to be looking out for themselves. Right. That's because that's what we do as human beings. When it's looking crazy, it's like, well, I'm going to take care of me first. OK, well, the Nets have this great culture they built up with Sean Atkins, uh, Sean Mars, Kenny Atkinson. Right. All these cast off guys that develop all these low draft picks. Things are great. 
oh my God, Kevin Durant wants to come here. It's like, okay, that's cool, right? Because I mean, we know if you're if you're going to have a chance to win in this league, you need one of those Kevin Durant type of players, right? People on that level. With that comes some exchange, right? Those guys get a certain amount of say-so and control and whatever. But you as the organization, right? There has to be a, a trust factor that you and star player earn and develop. And I said this, I think a couple of weeks ago, how was that even possible when he never even had a meeting with them when he signed as a free agent? He just said, yeah, I'm signing with Kyrie, done. I mean, yes, I get it. I want Kevin Durant, but if I'm in the culture matters and coach talks about this all the time, I have to do some, it's not even about due diligence, but talking to you first about who we are and what we do, who you are and what you do before we even go down that road. And that never happened. And once they started down that road, it was capitulate, capitulate, capitulate. And then, yeah, now you're in trouble because, you know, you got, you're doing whatever he wants and he's not a GM. He's a player. So can yeah, I ask it's a question? Fine. Oh, David <laughs> Thorpe is here. So that, welcome that, back, that, that's, David. Why, that's, why, that's why I teed him up. On that subject, um, so why are why would any teams bend over backwards to, to, to make some trades to get Kevin Durant? What what makes them think he's not going to be upset in three months or three weeks or you know even a year and a half? Well, crickets. this is the crickets for you. This is <laughs> this is this is the dilemma, right? It's like we need these A plus talents, which I agree, yeah. you do. Yeah. But right, there's a but there. Well, and my and like my thing is like you. So it used to be that NBA teams were run by like a billionaire and a hand-selected, you know, not to be difficult for the billionaire GM, right? And they would just shove it down their throats, right? They'd be like, okay, like, you know, like think what what happened to Michael Jordan, right? They were just like, this is the team you get. Stop complaining, right? And, uh, you know, we're trading horse grain, whatever. They do whatever they want. And um, and now we've, we're in a much better place where players have a lot of say and they don't get roughed up quite in the same way with the construction of the team. Very happy about that. But... That doesn't mean that the only other choice is that the player dictates it back to the team, right? I Correct. Clearly, the best thing is we have a shared vision, which is how everything in the real world works. It works well, mm-hmm. right? Which is like, you know, here at this cupcake shop, we're going to try to have the best cupcakes in town. We might charge a little more, but that's our strategy, right? Like, or, or maybe you're different. You're like, no, we're a, a volume provider. and We're going to try to be efficient in everything we do, right? And on and on, right? There's different visions. But like, if nobody shares the vision, we can't go anywhere. And so I feel like this is where... NBA is just putting the train wheels on other than like, you know, the heyday of Tim Duncan and Greg Popovich or whatever, or what's happening with, with the warriors these days. Right. But mostly I feel like it's like, well, I can't dictate to him. So obviously he has to dictate to me. It's like, these are two stupid models, right? Like <laughs> neither one of those is going to work. Right. Like, cause I mean, like the, the LeBron Lakers, we know that LeBron has a giant history of just preferring older teammates, proven, mm-hmm. you know, OCD kind of veterans who just show up every time mm-hmm. workhorses, but they tend to be injury prone and, you yep. know, less productive and they haven't had a ton of Malik monks. But meanwhile, now how old is LeBron now? 34, seven, nine, six. Well, that's terrible. This is, we should have this part out. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, 37, in the game. Now, honestly, I mean, his career with a whole bunch of 23-year-olds all throughout would have been, like, unbelievable. But mm-hmm. now, for the first time, he's on a roster where they're going to start dabbling here. And it's like, ah, maybe yeah, that'll work. A little, little, little too late there. It's, you know, obviously Golden State is illustrative because of what they're doing. And it's about collaboration, as you often talk about, right? We're not – of course we have to take into opinion – who are, you know, the most important people in the organization, right? As you always say, Henry, the org chart. Of course, we have to look at, in this particular place, our number one employees and ask what they think. But it can't just be, well, what do you want? Okay, done. We're doing it, right? It's got to be, okay, here's your input. Here's what we think. Where can we merge, meet in the middle? Or, or where, where, where can we, where can we, you know, really sort of put our heads together and, again, do everything in the direction of whatever the shared vision is that we have, which is trying to compete for a championship, I assume, if you're one of these teams. But you look at LA in, LA in particular, when you have a vacant leadership hole, well, someone with a bigger personality is going to come in and take over. And in LA, that's LeBron and Clutch, right? Like, if Genie's not going to be a, you know, this is what we're doing, and here's how we're going to get you all to come along, 
Well, I'm going to do it then since you're not. And, you know, you got problems. Well, let's put it into real terms. Uh, one of the trades people are talking about with KD is uh, how Toronto is really in a great spot because they've got Pascal Siakam, who's 28, all-NBA player. Scotty Barnes is a, you know, 21 rookie of the year and clearly has a chance to be a superstar. OG Ananobi is a, you know, potential couple-time all-star at 24 years of age and long and strong and kind of fits the mold of, like those other two guys, the the alpha wings that everyone seems to want now. Van Vliet has been an all-star. Uh, and Gary Trent can really score. So it, it And they have potential picks down the road a little bit. So everyone is thinking that's a no-brainer for Masai, who's already done this before and got a championship. But it's alarming to me that and I'm not, I, I texted with Masai this weekend. We did not approach this subject at all um, because, you know, he doesn't need to hear from me. He's going to figure his own thing out. But I'm going to, I, I, I've told some mutual friends of ours, if he does anything that gets rid of Scotty Barnes or Siakam, I'm hammering him. I'll bring it in. That's for sure. <laughs> because wh- wh- where would he possibly believe that KD is going to be there for three or four years? Meanwhile, Scotty Barnes has embraced Toronto hugely Siakam's only played for the Raptors and made two all NBA teams the last three years. And at 28, he's not just younger than Durant, but remember he didn't grow up playing a thousand AU games a year in Cameroon. Like KD did. There's every, there's every reason to think he'll age a little, at least a little bit better because he hasn't done so. Uh, if you, if you can do a deal with OG and Fred and maybe one pick, I don't think that's terrible. And I think uh, Siakam Barnes, uh, Durant lineup is pretty fucking ferocious, but you don't mortgage your your absolute present and your future for a guy that's just not reliable in terms of KD. And I'm just talking about off the court. Forget about on the court. I I just wouldn't trust it, which is why I tweeted last week that I w- I would I'd be off I'd be willing to trade Jack and Squat for KD right now. Obviously, there's some exceptions, like I said, Trent, OG Ananobi, Van Vliet. That that'd be fine, but. I don't think well, you, you would be willing to trade most of the Hawks starting lineup for Kevin Durant. So <laughs> not willing. I did come up with a trade. So here, what you guys think? I, I don't know that I would do it, but um, so Brooklyn would, would lose Durant and Ben Simmons and they would gain. Uh, John, I think John Collins, I think it's uh, Justin holiday after the 22nd of uh, August. You can't trade them till then. And then the main guys are Bogdanovich, DeAndre Hunter, Clint Capella, and yes, of course, Gerard John Collins. And I think I saw that Atlanta's got multiple picks in both 2023 and 2024. So you could probably get one of those first round picks in both of those years uh, as, a, as a, maybe a fair exchange there. So, so now Atlanta's built around Katie, Ben Simmons, and Kevin Durant, I mean, and, and uh, Trey Young. And Brooklyn gets a whole bunch of good players in Bogdanovich, Hunter, Capella, and Collins to go with some of the good players they already have. And that includes David Duke Jr. and Cam Thomas, two guys from last year's team, Cam Thomas, the first-round pick, who, who both have a chance to be good players in this league uh, with, to go along with the guys they already have in Claxton and Joe Harris and those guys. So um, that's just – yeah, I don't know that I'd be willing to do it or not, but I, I could see that happening – more so than I could see Masai, you know, going off of his All NBA player and his Rookie of the Year. So I think it's something we've talked about, Henry, right? And Coach, you always talk about this. It's this idea of what is success and what are you trying to accomplish. Yeah. Like you're a championship is one in thirty, maybe, right. right? Like you might, like you might, but are do I want to build a consistent team that wins? You know. 48 to 55 games, you know, the good years, we get really good, you know, all that stuff. Right. Right. And so if you're Toronto and Atlanta, of course you wouldn't mortgage. I mean, I wouldn't, if I was a GM of either of those teams, I wouldn't mortgage my future for that. However, a team might convince themselves because as good as we think Scotty Barnes might be Pascal Siakam, whomever, they may never be. I mean, even at this advanced age, Kevin Durant was top five in EPM. Yeah, they won't be. They won't be top Kevin seven in, right. Right, in earned wins. So it's like, yeah, or estimated right. wins. So it's like, they may never be as good as that dude, even at this stage, at 34 coming off an Achilles. So that's why a GM would convince himself, but he's still pretty good today. I'll roll the dice and try to take my chance at that one in 30. 
Maybe I get lucky and I do win and it's worth it. It probably won't happen, but that's how a team convinces themselves to do it. Yeah. Well, and remember, and Kevin Durant's like the Eddie Merckx of this story. I'm bringing it back right. to cycling. That's but like, right. That's right. You know, like nobody says what a dumb GM for getting Kevin Durant. And if your job is to keep your job, which is a great Mark Cuban quote, right? Like <laughs> then the one that everybody nods when you get that guy is right. And like, and look what's happening right now. Already what's happening. You know, Kevin Durant announces he wants to trade um, or effectively does. And um, the media response is that they will get 150 picks and all the young players and the star. And that all makes sense. And, right. Now, the market response is, eh, not really. You know, <laughs> not that, right? But mm -hmm. the media has already signaled where it's going to land, right? Which mm -hmm. is like, oh, it's so smart to get Kevin Durant, right? Like, which is really important to keeping your job, right? Like, yeah. you know, this is, you don't get fired for that move. So, you know, it does. And, and, and this is why, this is why Coach and I, right? Like, he's going to end up back in Brooklyn because yeah. no team, first of all, who, okay, who has the draft capital, number one, to do it? That's the first thing. And then again, who has the young talent that works with the salaries and that's one. I think I'm, I'm down to like two teams, one, maybe. So we're already limited with who can even do it, who can get this haul. And if you trade him for less than that, to your point, Henry, Shomar's going to get killed in the media and going to get fired by Joe Sy. You can't trade Kevin Durant for only two draft picks and, you know, some negligible all-star. You're not going to keep your job that way. But somebody might offer a lot for the same principle, right? Like if he's, if he's overvalued, right, then he's, he's, he's overvalued among all fans, right? So that Atlanta GMs might be smart for giving up the whole starting lineup for them, right? Like, like that might work out. Um, anyway, yeah, okay. So wait, David, you, we should get to Summer League. Oh my gosh, a lot has happened. Um, <laughs> first and foremost, um, James Weissman. Remember him? He used to play basketball. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> He's played a little bit. David's already started some Twitter fights about it. Um, how did it go, David? <laughs> I saw that he did. Well, it wasn't really a fight. It was just, it was more co coach, coaches, you know, coaches being like, you know, let's, let's slow down guys. Let's, you know. Well, so he, he scored 11 points. Uh, he made one phenomenal catch and dunk and uh, blocked a couple of shots. Didn't rebound very well. Moved pretty well. Uh, but our, my friend, Nate Duncan, who I think is a very smart guy. And I, I listened to Nate's pods and everything. Um, he's great. He's great. But he tweeted something about, um, you know, James, I think it was on a, I think he just didn't do something real quickly out of the, out of like a short role, maybe. It doesn't really matter. The, 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 what I said to Henry earlier today was when you have a baby and the baby r rolls over, you don't say, all right, now we just need it to roll over and sit up and, you know, and, and say, <laughs> hey, can I have some dinner, please? Like the, you have to allow some time for babies. Well, uh, I'm, I, I was talking the other day to a, one of the best players in the world and he played pickup this weekend and he had not been, he had not played a game. This is what I tweeted since uh, his last playoff game. And um, which is some months ago. And I asked how he did. And he's like, yeah, I did okay for my first game. You know, I'm, I'm not ready yet. It's uh, and he's been working his ass off, but he hasn't played any five on five. And James Weissman's missed the better part of three years with a small little break. Uh, and tell me if I'm wrong, guys. Was that a, was that the, oh, so his year, year one was, um, he got hurt, if you mm -hmm. remember. The year before that, which is his last, his only year of college, he played three games all at the mm -hmm. beginning of the season. And then last year, you know, he, there was COVID and uh, he was hurt again. So the guys missed the better part of three seasons. We just need a temporary our judgment. And, and I know that some of us are in a sense paid to be analysts. I, I certainly am. But I mean, you're not seeing me judge anyone that's missed three years. Like I, you, I don't know if you saw his interview after the game, but he was very critical of himself. Some things he didn't do very well. And the, the uh, delightful interviewer said, asked, well, what did you do? Well, and he basically was like, well, I moved around and my knee doesn't hurt. <laughs> he, <laughs> that, that's the win. Yeah, that's exactly. Win. He gets it. So, um, I think if I'm Golden State, I'm incredibly encouraged by what I'm seeing from Jonathan Kaminga, which I know we'll talk about. But I'm certainly not discouraged that James Weissman was able to get back on the court and look like a gigantically, gigantically tall, agile man who also made a three in the game, which would be great. I mean, if he if he can be, you know, the the three point shooting rim protector that we thought he might be three years ago, 
uh, that's going to be hellacious for their for their you know, the next five years. He did do some rim protecting too. He blocked two shots, and one one shot was uh, you know he he blocked a guy. I think it took a fadeaway jumper from maybe you know nine ten feet. But uh, yeah, this is first of all he'll be much better surrounded by NBA players everywhere. Although their 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 summer league team is fine, but there's no Seth Curry, Draymond Green, Clay Thompson on the court. Come on, Looney, not even close. Um, and uh, Jordan Poole, you know, Kaminga is their best player, and he's what was he eighth man on the team this year, ninth man. So yeah. that'll help James's spacing and timing for sure. Um, but I think that uh, you know we should just we need to be patient. I, I'm I love the guy as a talent, but I've got to be patient and just and just be happy that he can make it through games and not fall down ten times, not get hurt, and finish around the rim. If he can catch the ball, that's really good. If people have questioned his hands. I have not questioned his hands. He did have an amazing finish off a Kaminga pass. But um, the story of the game is Kaminga anyway, and the Warriors should be thrilled about that too. David said that uh, he's like, Joe Lacob might be right. The Warriors might just be way ahead of everybody. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Gerard, did you see their game last night? The Warriors? Yeah. I did not. So Kaminga was playing point guard. Listen. I mean, <laughs> like that's exactly what they should do. He, for for anyone that doesn't really know what Jonathan Kaminga looks like, imagine Jalen Brown playing point when he was nineteen, twenty years old, because that's what's happening. He's this but gigantic I, but, but, guy. But Kaminga is like bigger than Jalen. Bigger, Brown, I know. Like, he's more powerful. Like beef wise, right? Like, exactly. Like, holy beef wise, he's a bigger. <laughs> you know, <I> can... <laughs> you're right. He's a bigger, stronger version of Jalen Brown at this age. And he actually looked like he knew what he was doing. Uh, and so I, when Henry asked me, like, what's the point? I said, well, I mean, really, we talk about primary ball handler. That's what I always say. And so they, they're just giving him practice being a primary ball handler, which he will not be anytime soon for Golden State. Why not do it now? It's brilliant. It's exactly what they should be doing. Uh, there was a time where Kawhi Leonard couldn't be a primary ball handler and Paul George and really Kevin Durant even. And this is fast forwarding that process for them. Uh, so, so maybe the answer to the question would be, who's going to be their top scorer when Steph Curry ages out of that? Well, the answer is going to be Jonathan Kaminga. We see it right now. Mm-hmm. If it's not, it's not, it's not because they didn't try. It's just he won't be good enough. But they're finding out right now. And wow, what reference points. That's the other thing I want to mention is everything James Weissman learned uh, at the beginning of his rookie season is gone. You, reference points don't work when there's 18 months between them. So everything he picked up that he failed at or sucked at or even did well at early in his rookie season has all been erased with time. And now he just has to start all over with those reference points again. Jonathan Kaminga is getting reference points right now that he can apply during the season. The few times a the game they let him be a primary ball handler. He's picking that stuff now which will inform his daily workouts. And he can imagine these things in his mind in a way that he couldn't before. He's seeing it. So uh, every team should be thinking, wow, maybe we should let our uh, primary ball handling future, who doesn't have those skills now, do it in summer league. Who cares who wins the game? Well, I, I think you just hit the nail on the head. Um, and obviously we'll talk about this larger as it relates to, to summer league. But the reference points you mentioned, Coach Kaminga, Moody, and Wiseman sharing the court together. I mean, that's probably going to happen in some games this season. I agree. So this is a good reference point for in the actual season that's going to happen. So teams right now, like especially bad teams like Houston and Detroit, like to me, it's crazy that like why isn't Jalen Green at summer league playing with his teammates? Why isn't Cade Cunningham playing with his teammates? Like you, you're you're wasting valuable time to build that thing. And, you know, smart teams are doing that golden state. So now Joe Lacob was like, told you guys we're a light years ahead, right? Like, well, cause they're, they're recognizing this is what we're doing. I mean, Oklahoma city's doing it. You're seeing it with Chet and giddy. And it's like, all right, well, those guys are probably going to show the court a ton this, this season. So I just, you know, I think it's a bad beat for teams not allowing their young stars a year before. Cause it's not about, you don't have to prove yourself. It's more about let's use this time to work together so we can, you know, have a reference point for during the season. There's um, uh, our new stat bonus wins is built on adjusted plus minus from Taylor Snar, but um, you know, a very sophisticated version of it, right? But through the history of these plus minus stats, there's been this little mystery of these kind of like, like it was Andre Iguodala in the earliest version was like 
practically the best player in the world and no one could really understand why because he wasn't this was a time of like peak kobe and lebron he was an mvp candidate right and draymond green then was like the best in the world and kyle lowry has been like lebron-esque his whole career almost his whole career and um i and i i'm increasingly sure that the thing that's happening is players who know how to really read the floor as in like you know, what are 10 players doing right now? And where's the opportunity on both ends of the floor, right? Defense is a big part of what I just said, obviously, Andre Godala, Draymond Green, Kyle Lowry, but it's not just that. They're also, some of these players are amazing on offense. And I think that when you give the ball to, meanwhile, downgraded by these stats have been singular scorers, right? Like, KD's not quite at the top. Dame's not quite at the top, right? Et cetera, et cetera. Um, all through the history of these plus minus stats, it's been like if you just get buckets, like it doesn't, they don't love you quite as much in these stats. I think that this, by giving the ball to Jonathan Kaminga, you're taking someone who could be successful in a lot of different roles, right? He could be a, a KD like scorer, um, he could be a bucket, right? But um, instead, they're like, no, read the floor, learn how this many variables, pro- learn to process this many variables, get your Kyle Lowry game going. And I don't know if he will or not, but if he does, now he's got a chance to be like like go on the journey that Kawhi went on right well you could also first of all you can expose a lack of a, a ball handling ability when you're not able to get to where you want to go or you turn the ball over these are good lessons to learn better now than during the season and uh but you're also if if you know what you're doing you're going to see a player have success and you're going to show him the clip and you're going to say the reason why you had success on this play is because you did everything right in terms of the mechanics, the move you made, the speed and quickness you used. And the guy at the rim is a six foot nine guy that'll be playing in Poland next season. But if you try this against Rudy Gobert, you're going to come sit down on the bench with us because he's going to stuff it down your throat. And so, and then he's going to say, well, what, what can I do to get it off against Rudy? And, and you'll have an answer. And it might be, well, no, you're going to pass the ball in that situation. You can't finish that shot. These are, yeah. these are, this is how we teach the game. Uh, um, I show. I sent you guys the clip. You know, you know, I'm friendly with Andrew Nemhard, and and um, Nemhard had a play uh, in his last game. I think he scored 13 points. Where end of a clock, he forced a switch against. It was playing the Kings against uh, their center, and um, which you would think makes sense. Why would you go against a guard when you could I- isolate against a big center? Well, meanwhile, the Kings were just totally compacted in the paint. Three players had two feet basically in the paint at the end of the clock because they knew Nemhart could probably get by the big guy. The big guy pressed up pretty good to not let him make a three. And uh, Andrew needed to kind of do a step back two against this really tall guy. It was a terrible decision. I said to him after the game, why did you switch off against the big before you even checked to see where all the help was? Because to start the possession, the end of the last six seconds, you had a six foot two guy and you're six foot five. Why wouldn't you just take that guy into the second box and shoot over him? Then think I'm going to try to get a three off against this gigantic man. And if I blow by him, cause he presses up on me, I've got to drive into the teeth, the defense, and there's no time to kick it off because the clock was down to like a few seconds. And he's like, Oh, you know, that's the teaching point. This is what they need to get. This is what summer league is a gift for. And to Gerard's point, I think, Guys aren't playing Jalen Greens and Kate Cunningham. There's a bunch because they're thinking about load management starting now. And I get it, especially for players that play as much as Jalen and Kate will play. However, I think there's an argument to be made on Gerard's side, which is we've got lots of time to recover from two or three games and some practices in mid early to mid July when the next time they play again won't be till September, two months mm-hmm. from now in a game or, pre- or a hard training camp practice. Uh, I, I agree with Gerard. At least experimentally. Try it. Yeah. Try just one it. game. I'm not saying play all the yeah, time. Yeah, play, play one play game. A co- or a couple games and, yeah. and be there the whole week and be in yeah. training camp before summer league. Uh, practice different things. It used to be that way, Gerard. I've, I've coached players that scored a whole bunch of points in their first and second year, first and or second year in the league, and they still played a couple games their third year when they're you know, 21, 22, 23 years old, uh, I think there are good reference points to be, to be made there. And 
And uh, I, I understand the argument of resting. I understand the argument of looking at other guys too. But when they're the future of your franchise, not John Morant. You know, he played through, you know, first of all, it's year three and he's, and he's played through, um, you know, the postseason some. But guys like Jalen and Cade, I, I agree with you. I wouldn't be afraid to play them a couple of games. All right, so let's rip through the top players and you can give us a little review of what you've seen so far. Um, I guess we'll go in order of draft. Does that make sense? Sure. Um, you may have heard of Paolo Banquero. <laughs> um, I mean, so he's my favorite guy to talk about at Summer League for this reason. I don't have any idea what's going to end up happening. He's super talented. Uh, I loved his passing skill, if you guys remember, coming in. I thought it was his most... I thought it was his most unique talent given his, you know, gigantic size and power and all of that. He looks great physically. I may be wrong, but I think he had six assists in both games that he played. Had a big time block shot. He's had a couple of really impressive block shots. But anyone that thinks it's necessarily meaningful doesn't understand the process. How hard is he going to work? You know, how how well coach is going to get? Big question. They do have some talent around him, but how hard is he going to work? He if he doesn't really work hard, he's going to have a lower ceiling. If he does, it'll be a higher ceiling. We know we we knew going in. So he's not he's not disappointed us, but now Paolo, what's your motor going to be like in games in you know on a Tuesday in January when your team's got, you know, 20 wins and 30 losses in February um or or worse. And then in the off season, what what are you going to do these next few years? But all you've done is show us you you are high level all-star potential. Now, what are you going to do to make that happen? All right, next up, Chet Holmgren. Yeah, really, it's the same for all these guys. They've shown different things. You know, Chet, uh, I think Chet has got to, um, we've got some real question marks about him. I think he's going to be a shot blocker for sure. I think he's going to be a fine catch and shoot guy. Can he one day learn to play like Brooke Lopez? Absolutely, he can. He's He's got to gain some strength. Uh, we knew that. There's nothing surprising there. How does his body handle this new body that he's going to get? We'll see in terms of injury prevention and all of that. Uh, I, I question whether or not he can play small forward, which is what I think he wants to do. And what maybe is what unlocks his most his vast potential. Uh, I, I don't think he's fast enough, quick enough on either end. I don't think can, we, can we just like yeah. expand this point for a second? So like, sure. Sure. Um, I just this morning watched his Friday night game against the Rockets, which was a very fun game. I don't know if you guys happened to watch that game, but like it, it there's so much exciting stuff happening in that game. But um, uh, he blocked a million shots. It seemed in an impressive, impressive fashion, including one they were the the commentator were talking about. It was like it was like the the a volleyball block a blocker at the net and volleyball with both hands up. Right, he just like made a wall and they got like shot his hands into the wall of Chet Holmgren. Um, and so it occurs to me, like, okay, so we know that, like, he's not going to single cover Joel Embiid, right? That's This is the limitation of his weighing 195 pounds. Um, he will be knocked out of the way by a fair number of NBA big men. So then my head's like, well, yeah, but look, he's flying all over the court. He's so long. He doesn't look terrible, terrible. I mean, you would know more better than me, David, but, like, um, against littler guys because he's just so long and willing to compete. Um but then my head's like, well, just put him on the court. Just get him on the court somehow, um, and then he'll be helpful to your team. And even if occasionally he, he gets isolated and punished in the post or whatever. Um, but then immediately my brain's like, well, then he has to guard the small forward. And then this is where you've been thinking since the first time you ever even heard his name. You're like, yeah, but he's too slow. He's too slow to guard. Who would the, who would be the player who would roast him a small forward? Like a... all, all the best scoring wings we have in the game. Like that's yeah. you're, you're, you labeled it. You, you framed it perfectly. Henry, uh, the Paul George's Pascal Siakam's Kawhi Leonard's Kevin Durant's go on and on and on. Yeah. Uh, he can't stay with them. Now it doesn't matter that he can't do it now. I'm, it doesn't bother me. How does he project to do that? That's the question mark. Uh, right. because what you're talking about now is he, I mean, you mentioned Joel and B well, nobody can guard him, but Steven Adams will destroy him. Mm-hmm. Steven Adams will get 12 offensive rebounds in a game. If that's who he has to guard. Uh, and there's more than just Steven Adams. There's lots of Kevon Looney will too. He might get seven or eight. Uh, that's going to be his challenges. Who can you have him guard? So the answer is you've got to have him play like Robert Williams. You've got to put him on the other team's worst offensive player, no matter what the position is. 
and then let him roam and block some shots. I think he'll do that effectively. This year, I think he'll do that effectively. The teams that don't really have much of a weakness anywhere, uh, he'll, he'll struggle a lot more, whereas Robert Williams can kind of guard pretty much anybody, at least competently, maybe not at elite level, but competently. And, uh, but still, that's, I don't think OKC's worried about that. That's, to me, that's what I would do if I was there. But I, be Robert Williams on defense, probably offense too, except that he can shoot the three. Um, and, uh, and then build on that. And I think, and I think they'll be fine. I don't know about great. They want great. That's a question mark. This is that we were talking earlier about like, you know, letting things just happen. Like for Weissman, it's like, let, let Weissman be Weissman for a while. And then we'll later decide what he should be or whatever. Right. Um, I feel that way with Chet. I'm like, I don't Absol- know where this train's absolutely. going, but like absolutely. some interesting stuff is happening. <laughs> Abs- I absolutely think it's worth the bet. Um, yeah. I had him rated, I think, third uh, or fourth, one or the other. But yeah, he was in my top four because he is worth the bet. So before we go on to Jabari Smith, the other thing that I might take away from watching a game and a half of the Thunder Summer League is um, Santa Clara, Jalen Williams. Um, I just, I here's my little bet. I bet, I bet he was, I think he was drafted 12th. I bet you that in three years when we tally up his estimated wins from Taylor Snar's thing, which takes offense and defense into account. I bet you that he will have out accomplished out earned wins for his team. than at least half of the players taken ahead of him. Anybody want to bet me that? No, no, he was in my top six. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. He's I'm great. Big, 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 big fan of that guy. Really, really think he's going to, is a hell of a talent. And they, they did really well to get him at 12. He just gets to dunk all the time. I mean, part of it's playing with Josh Giddy, but not all of it. Cause like a lot of players play with Josh Giddy and don't find the spaces right. like that. But we're talking about reading the floor on offensive. Jalen Williams is an incredible defender with seven foot two wingspan, but he's also just really calmly like, Oh, the two defenders are there and there. Great. I will be over here. And Oh, look, I'm open again. Ha! Like he just dunks and dunks and dunks. And like, it just looks easy and fun playing with Jalen Williams, man. Like I, and you can see the thunder vision. Like I, you know, they're not there yet, but there's a period where it was like the longest armed people in the world frustrating everything on defense. And then like Josh Giddy lob show going the other way. Um, like you can see how this is going to, then, you know, there were long periods of just terrible defense and terrible offense and nothing worked, but, um, but you can see what what's happening here, right? You can see how this is going to come together. Arms and legs, nothing but arms and legs. Yeah. Arms and legs. If, if you think about, how do you protect Shea? How do you protect Giddy? The answer is a, a defender like with the potential of of uh, Jalen and Chad Holmgren. Yeah, yeah, it's pretty wicked. Um, okay, Jabari Smith, talk to me about him. Yeah, I he's in the same boat in that uh, he's got a lot of work to do on the offensive end. Uh, what separates these guys? We always talk about is their handle. And their, and their quickness in space and ability to get to the space that they want to be at because he's going to be able to shoot over everybody. And, you know, that's just – that's not going to be there for a while. And he, What I liked about Jabari when I watched – I think I saw him play a game, um, maybe just one game. He's a competitive guy. I, I really – I like that about Paolo and, and definitely Chet, but Paolo isn't always so competitive he was. Um, remember, I compared Paolo to Scotty Barnes um, and that he needed to be more assertive now that he was in college. Jabari was not assertive in the first game. He was much more assertive in his second game. We need to see that. Houston's got a lot of young talent. It's really not great for Jabari. Uh, you know, Jalen Green is, is not yet the player he one day hopes to be in, as a ball sharer. And so I think it's going to be a bit of a um, uh, kind of Lord of the Fly situation where, you know, they're all going to kind of get down to the worst possible element because they want to show off their ability to score. And remember what Pop famously said about Kawhi. You know, he became this elite player when he learned that with the play we call for him is for us to score, not just him to score. Uh, That is a lesson that's not going to be well-received in Houston for a while. Those young guys still want to get paid. And that's going to come, I think, a little bit to Jabari's expense. But I'm, I'm, I'm still a big fan. They have a lot of players on that team. They do. Oh my goodness. Yeah. There's a lot of Ty Ty and Dacian Knicks and yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah. Christopher. Dude, yeah. Dude's looking to get paid. Yeah. Christopher. They're good though. I mean, some of them talented. They're really talented. Yeah. yeah. I'm rooting for I'm rooting for their coach a lot. I like him very much. 
All right, Keegan Murray. Oh, uh, wow. So you would think right now he's going to be the favorite to win Rookie of the Year. I, I, let me rephrase that. I think he's the favorite right now to win Rookie of the Year. Not that I think that matters much. Um, first of all, kind I have a slap in the face of Jalen Williams, but okay, go ahead. <laughs> yeah, well, I don't think he's going to put the numbers, Keegan is. I know, I'm um, just kidding. Yeah, uh, yeah I love Keegan. I love Jalen. That was my five and six guy in this, in this draft. Um, mm-hmm. Keegan, uh, he, I saw him play initially. I think I told you he was in, when my son was a senior in high school, he was on a post-grad team that we played. We played in the same tournament. He looks, this is two years ago, he looks amazing stronger bigger like taller maybe he's he really looks like he's a presence physically and boy he's got a he's a lot like paolo absent maybe some of the passing i haven't seen that gift he's older than paolo i think by a year but really a gifted score three level score is is what they're saying now you know at the pain mid-level and then threes um great backdoor cutting great movement composed poised all those things uh, he looks like a real do-it-all kind of guy. And I think I think maybe maybe the guy that most is likely to succeed no matter how terrible the Kings are, which is what they need. They might need a guy that can be great no matter what. He might be that guy. He's just really a gifted, skilled scorer, bucket getter, and with a great, a great pace about how he plays. Um, he might be he might be king's proof for lack of a better phrase. <laughs> and that might be what gets them out of the doldrums is we know Fox is, is enigmatic, but super talented. You know, this guy is, he's a very skilled player and it's, you know, six ten or so he's going to score a bunch of points this year. Is he good enough that they like trade players away to make room for him? Um, yeah. Yeah. He might be, I got to see more defensively. I'm not, I'm not convinced. You know, he, a lot of players, the ball slows them down offensively because they just aren't skilled enough with it. But it also can actually make you faster than what you really are. Jason Williams, the, the white chocolate Jason Williams, the ball made him quicker. Ray Ferolson, the ball made him quicker. They were wizards with the ball, and they used it as a sleight of hand in a sense to get them to, to be able to beat defenders that they otherwise may not be able to beat because they weren't really great athletes. They weren't really quick at the point of attack. Um, I think Keegan might be that guy too, uh, mm. where he just knew he, he, the ball doesn't slow him down. He doesn't, it doesn't quicken him up yet, but it doesn't slow him down. And that he, and that's good because he's not such a quick guy uh, on the other side that becomes more of a problem, I think defensively, but that's where they've got to scheme up. I think they've got the, I've talked to some people who played for Mike Brown and uh, they think he's going to do good. They think he's going to do good in Sacramento. He's going to okay. get them guarding and caring about gardening. Uh, from what I hear, Keegan is a you know superlative uh, player in terms of listener. So um, now I think he's going to be in a two-way player for them this year, but probably offense better than defense, which is not so easy for a rookie. Yeah. Okay. Jaden Ivey. <sighs> he scored 11 points in five minutes in game two. And, I didn't see it. I saw game one and I panicked when I looked at the box score while the game was going on. It wasn't going back in. I guess he was involved in like a pretty scary collision. So they held him out, but you know, he's, he, you know, he's based on what I've seen. He's not as fast as I thought he might be compared to my memory of Dwayne Wade, but it's probably the case that my memory is wrong because he's zooming by everybody. He's, He's an exciting player. Yeah, he's going to be a really – he's also a candidate for Rookie of the Year because he's overwhelmingly athletic, and I think that I think that Cade likes to play with him. And Cade, Cade likes to be a passer. He, he's not mm-hmm. just a bucket getter. And I think they're – I mean, if you're a Pistons fan, you have to be overjoyed at that backcourt. They are just perfectly aligned. Uh, they complement each other so well. So, yeah, well done, Detroit. It's an easy pick, though, to be honest. Easy pick. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The the more courageous pick would have taken him, you know, second or third, right? Well, that's what I would have done, but yeah. Yeah, yeah. All right, Ben Matherin of the Pacers. Yeah, that's the six guys that I've seen. Well, Sharp barely played at seven. Um, so Matherin, I think, well, he, you have to be happy with him if you're a Pacers fan. He's been engaged, assertive, aggressive. 
Uh, he's got that you know, great body and great strength and good size. He's shot well. I heard he's been shooting better in games in some cases than he did in some practices. He's been, he's been, he's made some tough shots around the rim. I'm a little worried that he's going to, he's kind of get swallowed up by the bigger wings. He's not facing those guys. Now he's able to overpower these younger NBA players that don't have the length and strength that he's going to see the typical forward that has in the NBA. But all that means is he may not be, you know, the elite score that they need him to be, uh, especially if they end up getting, uh, DeAndre Ayton. Um, but, but still, he's going to be a solid player. Uh, if, if he shoots it well and really passes it well, then his lack of, of elite wingspan won't matter as much. And so he's, he's got some work to do in that. But uh, at least you know exactly what he's got to do. And at least he's, and he's showing some signs of being able to score against uh, at least very athletic players. They're not, they're not NBA-level defenders. But um, I'm sure Indiana's happy with him right now. He's, he's still got to work to do, though. You know, he makes me think about a sort of crazy theoretical question that we can use to end the show. All right. So, you know, in, in running, they dealt with Oscar Pistorius, like, had, yeah. was running on mm-hmm. blades, right? And basketball hasn't really had its conundrum like that yet, but of course it's coming. And uh, it's a David, his first, you know, I went to Santa Barbara and got a sense of Benedict Matherin, got very excited about his potential. And, um, and, you know, then David really dug in and he's like, well, my worry is that his arms just aren't long enough. Right. And, um, they, I, then that made me think about, I once got a tour of this facility in Silicon Valley where these dudes made a arm extension, which it was sort of added like one more section to your arm. And they had to ban people from using it in the building we were in because someone threw a baseball through the wall. Jesus. You could throw a baseball, the speed of sound with this simple arm extension because like just you know, it was so effective. And, um, and so I'm like, okay, I mean, what if, you know, what if some future NBA player was like, oh, I'm going to get this thing installed, right? I'm going to play like this. Like, are, you know, do you ban that guy? Yeah. Wow. Wait, so is that, it's actually a body part? This version wasn't, but yeah, right. of course they could do that. Yeah. Jeez. We're going to have that, right? We're going to have, you know, there, there's, surgical enhancements to human bodies that would make you better than NBA for sure. This is coming. If it doesn't already exist in a secret, right? Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. This yeah. is absolutely coming and it's just the toughest thing to regulate, right? Like, I mean, it even could be like, you know, what is, um, I think Elon Musk has a company that, uh, Neuromatics or something like that, which, um, you know, they're, I don't know if they even exist yet, but they're like, they're going to like put a little electrical device in your brain and make you a little better at what you do. How do you think? <laughs> right? Like, <laughs> you know, it's lab. interesting. Maybe, we cool maybe, <laughs> maybe we'll have two different leagues in every sport. There'll be the, um, the one where science has, has evolved you or enhanced you and the one that doesn't. I don't <laughs> think that's what's going to happen. Like I, I think what's, what we will always want to root for the best thing that doesn't creep everybody out. So that second part is really hard to hammer down, right? Like, you know, people like cheat with ibuprofen and caffeine and everybody's fine with it because we understand those enhancements, right? Right. What about testosterone? Is that allowed? It's like, well, we don't know where we are on that right now, right? Like we Mm -hmm. kind of turn a blind eye to it. They don't test very well for it and there's pressure to do it, right? Um, So I feel like with these ones, it's like right now, I think everyone thinks it's weird, but will they think it's weird in 10 years? When your uncle yeah. has the same thing and yeah, Elon yeah. Musk's company is, you know, running national ads for whatever they come up with to put in your brain, like maybe then we're all cool with it. But as <laughs> a as a grim outlook on the future, Henry. <laughs> I got no comment on that. I just think it's coming, man. This is, these are the like I think we're gonna we're gonna completely fuck that up, or we're gonna have really thought about it long and hard and tried to sketch out the right way for it to go. Same with like climate change. Right? It's like, yeah, so I'm like this whole, like, well, we'll see when we get there. It's like, well, then you're going to fuck it up. Right. I have a feeling we're, I have a feeling we're going to fuck it up. History tells me we're going to mess it up. Cool. 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 That sounds good. <laughs> <laughs> Who's grim now, Gerard? <laughs> 
it'll be like a guy with like robotic arm all of a sudden and then like something weird will happen in a game we're like oh, it's just gonna be bad <laughs> i mean they're doing it they're, like track and field is doing such a crazy terrible slow motion car crash of a job of like castor semenya's career yeah yeah right like they j- mm-hmm. like what are the rules here it's like i don't know but i wish you could have put this 10 years of experimenting into like a good solid brainstorming session over like a corporate retreat 10 years ago and just freaking landed where you are going to be in 10 years. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, like, you know, just like think harder about it. And then someone's going to have to explain the position you land on, like before Mm -hmm. the public catches up. That's just how it's just going to have to happen. Like you can't put Castor Semenya, probably the greatest mid distance runner of all time. Just put her on the shelf for a decade. Like, that's just not okay. You know, what the hell? Anyway, Today, I managed to drag our NBA podcast into running and cycling more than ever. And I'm sort of proud of that. (laughs) You did a great job. It was excellent work by you. Thank you. Thank you very much. Um, (laughs) All right. Friday, you two will be back. I won't be here. The show is going to be better for it. (laughs) We can talk about basketball the whole time. No, no, no technical issues. Yeah, we'll talk about basketball. (laughs) Yeah, sounds good. All right, thank you, David. Thank you, Gerard. Bye, All guys. Right, man.